and welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and I'm honored to serve as your weekly host and interviewer. As I mentioned most weeks, this format follows a similar process. Each week, we invite a renowned, best-selling author, someone who's just a really smart thinker, practitioner, might be a corporate CEO or a best-selling author, or someone like you and me that started out really interested, intrigued, invested in a topic and did research and reps and practice and asked smart questions and then became a massive influencer, became a best-selling author or podcaster, and today is just that day. Joining us today is the author of multiple best-selling books, keynote speaker, the founder and host of the new podcast Before Breakfast on iHeartRadio. Her TED Talk has over 5 million views, and today, Laura Vanderkam is joining us to talk about one of my favorite books she's written, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. Rise and shine, Laura Vanderkam, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you the truth. This morning, I woke up thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get up early. I'm interviewing Laura Vanderkam. I got up, looked at my clock across the room, and it was 1.11 in the morning. I was so, like, <laughs> focused on getting up early, like, living what you teach this morning. So, pardon That's me if I've had a couple of cups of coffee. Too early before breakfast. <laughs> well, welcome to On Leadership. Laura, uh, lots of great questions for you today. Uh, and it's uh, after breakfast for me. I want to just revisit the premise of your book. You didn't set out to actually write a book with this. You actually were... were um, focused on the collection of some results of other things you've done. Kind of walk us through the process of how this book actually came about. Yeah, so I've been writing about time management for many years and studying people's schedules. I always love to have people track their time for me so I can see where the time really goes. And over the years, I had noticed something, which is that many people who had full lives, I mean, big careers, raising families, we're often making use of those early morning hours to do things that were personally important to them. Uh, sometimes it was exercise, that's a very common morning routine, but it might be other things too, you know, writing a, a novel or bo other book. Um, sometimes it's investing in relationships, having quality family time in the morning if it wasn't gonna happen after work. And so I realized that by being intentional about these early hours, people were able to make all the pieces of their life fit together. And so I decided to study this topic more in depth and see, you know, what the rest of us could choose to get done before breakfast. So Laura, I've always been an early riser inculcated to me from my parents. I had a job that started at 5 a.m. back in high school. So I've always thought the same. I'm an early riser and I'm early to bed. But I don't know that I've always intentionally made the best use of it. I read lots of newspapers in the morning, get my email done. But your book really inspired me to be more thoughtful about what I do in the morning to address my habits. And then you talk about in the book how the importance of how habits can become rituals. And I found that to be kind of the first epiphany from your book. Talk about the purpose of um, thinking about rituals in your life and how they can help to become more intentional in the morning. Yeah, so for many people, mornings are their best time. Uh, this is time you can have for yourself before everybody else wants a piece of you. There's some evidence that people tend to have more energy uh, in the morning. Some of that may be related to that first cup of coffee, but not all of it. And, and so this is really time we can use to make progress toward our goals. Um, it's the same sort of thing with financial advice. People always 
tell you if you want to build wealth, you need to pay yourself first because if you wait until the end of the month to see what money is left over, shockingly, there often isn't a whole lot of money left over. But if you pay yourself first one way or the other, you'll get through and you'll build wealth in the process. So same exact thing with time. If you take whatever is important to you and do it first, then you make progress. And the idea of thinking about it as a, a ritual, partly it's just that ritual sounds a little bit more nice and heavy and you know, meaningful than, than just habit, which could be something like you know, biting your fingernails. So we wanna, we wanna give it a good positive uh, connotation, but it makes good choices automatic. And we have some more ability, if you, you believe some of the research, to develop these good habits in the morning before our willpower and our energy is depleted in the course of the day. So by thinking about how you can do certain high quality activities more often than not in the first few hours of the day, you increase the chances that over time you do more of these things and you devote more time to these things and you get yourself closer to your long-term goals. Well, in fact, Laura, you take it a step further in the book. You talk about how there is some science that supports that there's major self-control failures that happen in the afternoon. Talk a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, the, the research goes back and forth, and this is the problem of all sociology research. It's hard to establish anything, you know, for sure, you know, right? We can always find one study pointing a little bit differently. But if you think about it, you know, crimes of passion usually don't occur at 6 a.m. Or if anyone's ever tried to eat better, you know, that diets, diets aren't broken with a spoon going straight into the Haagen-Dazs at 7 a.m., right? That's really more of a 10 p.m. sort of activity. And, and so for most of us, in the course of the day, as we make difficult decisions, as we deal with challenging people, as we do all the things we have to do, both professionally and in our family lives, you can just be exhausted. And so it's harder to make good choices that require focus and discipline at the end of the day. Just another practical way to think about it. Let's say you want to write you know, a, a novel. Like you can tell yourself, I'll do this at the end of the day with the time I have left over. But you and I both know there isn't going to be time left over at the end of the day. Or if there is, you're going to have just about enough energy to turn on the TV, and that is it. So if you get up in the morning and do it, though, you might actually do it and make progress. And so if you're going to write the book, that's probably the way it needs to go. Laura, one of the best parts of your book, I think, is just all the different stories and literally hundreds of interviews and conversations you spend some time talking about CEOs, for example, and that CEOs have some highly successful CEOs have some commonalities and how they, regardless of gender, spend their time early in the morning. Riff on that for a bit. Yeah, this is some fascinating stuff I found from people who've done a lot of these interviews and CEO time use. There's that now been some more research that's come out since I did this book. But if you think about it, somebody who is managing a ton of people has a lot of people who need them, right? And if these people also have a family life, they probably have family members who need stuff from them as well, even if, if they're not necessarily the primary caregiver for their family, there's still things they need to do for that. So their whole lives is dealing with what other people need from them. Where do you do the stuff that you need for yourself? Well, for many people, it's going to be first. So inevitably, I found that if people did have a good exercise routine, and not everybody does, but a lot of people do, and if they did, it was going to be that they were exercising first thing in the morning. Um, people who had, for instance, a robust spiritual life, it was often that they were getting up and you know reading uh, scriptural or, or whatever holy book passages they were doing and, and meditating or praying at that time. 
Um, often it was actually spending quality family time. As you can imagine, people who are running large organizations may not always be able to end the day at precisely 5 p.m. Sometimes there are you know, things that need to happen. You need to meet with people later into the evening. You need to meet with clients and vendors. Uh, you need to do whatever you do to, to get your organization out into the larger world. Um, and, and so if you can't always end on time, maybe you can choose when you start. And so people who did really value spending time with their families would elect to say, okay, well, family dinner, just not going to happen much during the week. Family breakfast, on the other hand, can happen. So I will choose to be there for that and make that a big part of my morning routine. Yeah, that point about family breakfast kind of challenged my own paradigm because you're enculturated since birth to think about, you know, family dinner and that, and that works well for many, but not for everyone. And to that point, for the skeptics that are listening today, you're not a self-described morning person, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> and, and it's funny because over the years of, of writing about this, I've gotten to know so many people who are natural morning people, and I am not like them at all. I mean, I can see that they're, they're telling me about waking up at 5 a.m., um, and, and that's when they choose to get up. And, and, you know, usually they also are then going to bed ideally by 10 p.m. Most people right. need seven hours or so of sleep per day to function well. Uh, and so if you're waking up at five, you need to be in bed at 10. And that's not my natural inclination. Um, I would probably sleep in later if it were up to me. I would certainly like to stay up later. But I have noticed that I have more of an ability to do focus stuff in the morning when I wake up early after getting enough sleep. And I had sort of always known this kind of anecdotally from my life. Every time I've flown to the West Coast of the US from the East Coast, you move, you know, so you're three hours behind with the time change. And what that means is that I would, you know, wake up at what was the East Coast equivalent of 8 a.m. In my hotel room, it'd be 5 a.m. in Pacific time, my first meeting be at like 10.30 or something. And so I've got all this time in the morning and I'd get so much done. And it's just like, you feel on top of the world. Uh, and, and it's like, well, can I maybe take that feeling back to my normal life? And the answer is sometimes. I am still never gonna be one of those people who voluntarily gets up at 5 a.m. Now, the reality is that life sometimes makes us get up at that time. Um, I have four children. They are not as small as they used to be. Uh, but during the years when they were babies and toddlers, inevitably, somebody would be up quite early. Um, I'm often the one who is, who is dealing with that. And so I had to get used to getting up early and then figure out, well, if I am up, how can I sort of switch my mindset to say, well, if this is my life, how can I make the most of it? So is your husband sleeping in in the morning? What's he doing to help no, you with these no, four kids? No, no, that's not. Um, so he's, he's had a job that's involved a, a lot of travel yeah. over the year. And um, I do more of this now, again, as our, our kids are getting older, um, that I've started traveling a lot more for, for speaking. But certainly during the, the baby toddler years, yeah. it was more that he was the one out on the road. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, he could he could take the weekends, but the, the standard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was it was mostly me. And we're going to talk about weekends in just a few minutes here. About a year ago, I interviewed Sean Covey, who is the author of the wildly popular book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, including like 10 other titles, right? Sean Covey's books have sold, gosh, close to 10 million copies in total. And I asked him about his writing process, and Sean said, you know, it's not genius. He says, I just get up super early in the morning and try to write for 90 minutes to two hours before any of my, I think he has eight children, wake up and, you know, kind of wreck 
you know, his writing time. <laughs> yes. And I just wrote my first book. I just finished it. And it took me about nine months to write it. And I found that when I replicated Sean's process, I got up at four in the morning, went out to the sunroom. I could get a good sort of 90 minutes in before my five-year-old woke up and, you know, came crashing in. And most authors that I've interviewed have said the early morning time to write for them was the most productive and focused than any other, including going off for a week at a cabin and writing, you know, around the clock. Yeah. And it wasn't so much that I'd be writing in the early morning, because, again, if, if you've got babies and toddlers, it's, it's hard to, you know, type even without somebody attached to you right. in some way or form. But, you know, I, I've always had childcare starting at, say, 8 a.m. Um, through through the years that I've been writing my books and, and giving speeches and the like. And so when when that began, you know, I could hand people over and sit down at my desk. And that first hour or two, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, would inevitably be my best time for writing. And I've learned to deal with that in terms of if, if I try to get through my inbox first, you know, like, oh, let me clear the decks. It'll just take me, you know, 8 to 9.30, and then I can start on my real work. But by 9.30, I, I don't want to. Like, I'm done, you know, answering all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, now I'm tired from all that. If it's going to happen, it has to happen first. So, Laura, let's get practical. In your book, you talk about how to make over your mornings, and you kind of uh, go through a five-step process. Let's spend about a minute on each of these. The first way to make over your morning, you propose, is to track your time. Expand on that. So I always say that if you want to spend your time better, the first thing you need to figure out is where it is going now. And the reason is just like any business decision, you want to make sure you have good data. Like if you don't have good data, how do you know if you're making the right decision? Maybe something you thought was a problem really isn't. Maybe something you've never even considered is taking more time than you thought. Uh, it's, it's always amazing to me how little awareness many of us have of our time, yeah. even if we think we do. I, I hear from people over and over again that they're like, I swore my commute took 30 minutes and then I tracked my time for a week and it never took less than 45. It's like, oh, well, that explains why you're always 15 to 20 minutes late for your first meeting, doesn't it, right? <laughs> like these, it's not rocket science, but we, we often lack this awareness of exactly how long things take. So... I suggest people keep track of their time for a week. I've, I've actually been tracking my time for the past four years on these weekly spreadsheets, which I know makes me sound like all kinds of fun. Uh, nobody else has to track their time for four years, but, but doing it for a week will give you all sorts of insights into your life. And while it might seem that if you're trying to make your mornings better, you only need to worry about your mornings, I found that you really need to see where all your time goes. Because often the problem with mornings stems from what you are doing the night before. Right? When people tell me, you know, I'm not a morning person, what they often mean is that they are tired in the morning. Yeah. But the reason they're tired in the morning is not because they are inevitably a night owl. I mean, some people are. It's but Game of Thrones. many people, it's that right? they stayed up too late doing stuff they didn't care about, right? Like just watching more TV than they meant to watch or surfing the internet or something like that. So, you know, we need to know that. Because yeah. if you know that, then you could decide, well, do I want to keep doing this or do I not? And if you don't, well, maybe you could cut it off a little bit earlier, go to bed a bit earlier, wake up earlier, yeah. turn unproductive evening hours into productive morning hours. Seems reasonable. So morning makeover, tip number one, track your time. Tip number two was picture the perfect morning. Talk about that. Yeah, so I think it's important to really think about what you would want to get out of bed to do. 
there's no reason to have a morning routine just to have a morning routine. There's nothing inherently more noble about having a morning routine than anything else we could be doing in life. It's just, if there is a reason to do something awesome in your life, then great. Like that's going to motivate you to get out of bed. So picture what that would be. The image that keeps coming back to me is my four kids on Christmas morning. Like they're sometimes hard to get out of their beds when it's time to get them on the school bus. But Christmas morning, like everyone's up, everyone is, you know, bounding out of bed. And it's because they're excited about the day. Like they can't, just can't wait to see what the day is going to bring. And so obviously that's a little bit hard to replicate 365 days a year. But think about it. What would actually make you excited to get out of bed? And, you know, maybe it's going for a run if that's an option in your life. Maybe it's working on that novel you're writing. Maybe it's uh, having time for reflection or, you know, just sitting with your first cup of coffee quietly with nobody else asking for anything from you. That's, that's often a you know, fantasy for some people with, with really small children, for instance, but uh, maybe that's what your perfect morning would be. But if you know what it is, then you can start figuring out how you could put aspects of that into your life. Uh, you know, you talk in the book about embracing anticipation, about having something to look forward to. I have a good friend, Dr. Patrick Ledden, he's a, a colleague here, and his wife, Jamie Ledden, also a friend, who also works for Franklin Covey, I heard that Jamie likes to live her life around looking forward to things. And I'm sure I'm gonna slaughter uh, uh, her point of view on it, but I understand that she likes to plan things out. You know, it's only seven days till we go to Napa, or it's only 36 hours until we have, you know, the champagne brunch. And she likes to always have something to look forward to. And I can find myself in that the same way. My wife and I like to say we're having a dinner party on Saturday, right? Or it's the Easter egg hunt, or you know, the yard is being, you know, um, updated, whatever it is. Do you find that, that embracing anticipation flies in the face of sort of living in the day and cherishing the moments? What advice would you give to kind of have us balance both of those? I don't think the two are at odds at all. I think this is actually, you know, falsely pitting things against each other. Um, I would say that your colleague is correct that anticipation actually accounts for the lion's share of happiness we get from any given event. Um, partly just because you can anticipate for a lot longer than the event itself will go on for. Um, if you've got a reservation on Saturday night, for your favorite restaurant. Well, you'll probably only be at the restaurant like two, max three hours, right? But if you made your reservation on Tuesday, you can look forward to it for five days. You've got some of that anticipatory pleasure going for five days as opposed to the two hours you'll actually be experiencing the, the dinner. Um, it's also, the anticipation is also important because we are never perfectly blissful in the moment. Um, for all the discussion of like, oh, all we have is, is this moment. The truth is our, our brains just don't actually work that way. I mean, you could be sitting on a tropical beach, enjoying a cocktail, beautiful sunset, love of your life at your side. And you're like, is that a mosquito I hear? Or my toe itches, <laughs> you know, should I, should I go to the bathroom now or maybe wait half an hour? Like these, your, our physical bodies, keep us from being able to be 100% blissful in the moment. So we do need to maximize that anticipatory pleasure to get more joy out of events. But it also, we can savor moments while we're in them and look forward to them. And then we can also stretch the pleasure by thinking about them afterwards. I mean, why not, right? As you're really in the moment, you can think about, oh, well, how am I going to tell people about this afterwards? What do I most want to remember? What are the sights and the sounds and the senses that make this more real for me? And doing that actually helps you really truly be there. As you take in more and you're more aware, 
um, you're getting more data about the experience itself. And then that's what you can think of afterwards. You can stretch the pleasure that way too. So it's not just being in the moment. You want to be in the moment and you want to look forward and you want to remember after the fact. So Jamie Ledden's doing it right. She's doing it right. Good to hear. Uh, morning makeover tip number three, think through the logistics. Yeah, so this is where the fantasy morning meets the reality of your life. Um, because it's easy to sort of talk ourselves out of having any morning fun or enjoyment because there's certain circumstances of our life that make it difficult. Um, and I get this, you know, I, I like to run outside for instance, and yet, you know, the mornings where I was home with my kids by myself, like it was gonna be pretty difficult to go run outside until I could get another adult over to watch them, right? I mean, that's the reality. I'm not gonna, you know, have a jog stroller with like three people in it. So, um, I mean, you could, but it'd be difficult. So, you know, this, this is where, where you figure out how does this vision work with what I have in my life? Um, and so, you know, maybe it's that you want to run some mornings um, and there are times you could run outside when you do have another adult who could watch your kids, but maybe in the early morning you get a treadmill, you know, from somebody's yard sale that they're trying to unload it cheap and, and you put it in your basement and then you get to run with that. And, you know, it's not quite the same as running outside, but it's at least something you can have. Or maybe it's that, um, you know, you'd like to spend, you know, an hour meditating, but that's, you know, not terribly realistic with the time you can get into bed and when you can wake up, but maybe it's saying, well, I could write in a journal for 10 minutes, like that I could do. Or I could, you know, read one chapter in a book, or um, I bet I could get up enough before my kids that I could at least spend 45 minutes writing. It's not maybe the three hours I'm reading about and all these stories of people's amazing morning routines, but at least I could get that. Um, and maybe it's not five daily, you know, five weekday mornings a week or seven mornings a week. It's interesting. Even the people who talk about their morning routines, their great morning routines, seldom do it seven days a week. I, I found that interesting. Um, but, you know, maybe it's not five. Maybe it's that you could do this two mornings a week, um, that that would work for your life. And, and the other three, it, it doesn't, but that's okay, right? It's, it's just about doing something that matters to us repeatedly during this time when we have the most energy and discipline and focus. Yeah, I think the big idea that I took for the entire book is just that, is kind of just really being more thoughtful and intentional with what you want to accomplish and can accomplish early in the morning. Let's go to tip four, build the habit. Well, this is again, one of those practical realities. I, what often happens is people have these elaborate ideas of what they wanna do with their mornings, but it doesn't fit with their lives and it doesn't actually fit with their motivations either. Um, and so they've told themselves, well, everyone goes and does you know, an hour long boot camp class in the morning if they wanna be successful. And so I'm gonna go do that. And you, you hate group fitness, like you hate people yelling at you. You're not gonna stick with it. I mean, you might for the first week, um, but then something will happen. Like, you know, you'll get sick for instance. And so you can't go for a couple days. And then after that, I'll be like, Oh, well, my bed feels really good in the morning. And, oh, the one thing will lead to another. And after a while, it almost feels like even harder to start again. It would have been a lot better to choose something that again, makes you excited to get out of bed that you would truly want to do and to start small enough that you can do it without feeling a whole lot of resistance because that resistance is what is going to you know rear its head when things go wrong and things will go wrong because this is this is life you know you'll get out of the routine for some reason what's going to motivate you to get back in and if you don't like your routine you won't do it laura morning makeover tip number five tune up as necessary so life changes and 
this is one of the things I've, I've discovered with you know, writing self-help literature. So much of it is written along the idea that, you know, this person had an epiphany and everything changed and here's the end of it. But life doesn't actually work that way. And so often with my books, what I've actually tried to do is go back like a month later, go back three months later, go back a year later when I'm like copy editing the manuscript. Where are things now? And, you know, often what happens is some things have stayed and some things have had to change either because you know, we, we misjudged what would work with the person's life or they decide that something else is, is more important to them. You know, if, if your morning routine is, is based on, well, I have this time, you know, after I drop the kids off at school, but before I need to be at work and then you move or the kids go to a different school or your spouse starts doing that or, you know, you get a different job. I mean, all of these things will change what time is available to you and that you need to rethink what the routine would be. But it doesn't mean that the idea of a morning routine won't work. It's just that we need to be flexible and figure out what can work now. Laura, I also really enjoyed the chapters you spent talking about the weekend and how different successful, effective, productive people organize intentionally their weekends. You call it the power, the paradox of the weekend. Uh, expand on that for us. So, you know, if you have a during the week job, your the bulk of your leisure time is going to happen on weekends. Um, but weekends are real days. And this is actually quite a bit of time. I think the, the number I use is that there's 60 hours between you know that 6 p.m. Friday beer and that 6 a.m. Monday morning wake up, right? And, and even if you're sleeping for, for 24 of those hours, that's still 36 waking hours for, you know, family and leisure and other things like that, you know, your chores as well, perhaps. But the bulk of that time could be spent on these sort of non-work activities. And yet we often have this idea that like, oh, I don't want to plan my leisure time. It sounds like so much work to plan my leisure time and think about it and conjures up all these you know, absurd ideas of like setting, you know, planning every 15 minutes like you would during the workday or sending Outlook invites for dinner or something ridiculous like that. There's so much space between planning every minute and planning nothing. Those are false choices. What I encourage people to do is think of a couple what I call anchor events um, to think about putting into their weekend ahead of time. And that way you have something to look forward to so we can get that anticipatory pleasure we talked about earlier. And so also you can end the weekend feeling like I've done something. I have these memories. This time didn't just disappear into puttering around the house and watching TV. I think my big learning on that part of the book, I, I thought a lot about it. I'm fortunate to have a very intense Monday through Friday. And because of the nature of our firm, we don't tend to work in the office or with clients on weekends. And that's been my life. I've been very privileged to have my weekends off for the last 30 years. Off meaning off physically, not off mentally, right? We're all thinking about our jobs on the weekends. And I like the idea of checking out on the weekend because you propose that we might be actually much more fresh on Monday morning if we have legitimately checked away from our jobs, taken the time to reconnect do things that are reparative and healing and fun, and that likely will be more productive, more engaged, come back fresh Monday morning, as opposed to have we just kind of kept working through the weekend, some or any. And perhaps it's counterintuitive, but I thought it was really um, refreshing for me to think I need to do less writing, less email, less checking in on the weekends, so I do come back excited about it on Monday morning versus it's just a continuation of Saturday and Sunday. 
Yeah, I do think we can benefit from having uh, our brains be in a different mode um, during at least some time of the week. I kind of think of it almost as like cross training that, you know, the the things we do at work can benefit from our doing entirely different things during our non-working time. Um, sometimes it's about talking to people who are different from the people we have at work. Um, maybe it's about using different parts of your brain, reading different things, uh, trying different skills. Um, you know, I think it's also important to really think about how you can add to your energy levels on weekends. And, and this can be challenging. You know, sometimes people turn their, their weekends into this total, you know, march of chores and errands. You're trying to get through all those house projects that you've stacked up for the last six months. Um, you know, and, and when you have little kids, weekends are by their nature, not that relaxing, um, which is tough especially if you have a difficult job Monday through Friday as well. But that's why you really need to think through your weekends ahead of time. Because if you think through it ahead of time, you can often figure out ways that you can still get your relaxing, rejuvenating time as well. Whether that's um, choosing to tra trade off coverage with your partner um, for different times during the weekend. So each of you gets a few hours to do something that is personally meaningful to you, but is separate from your job and separate from your family responsibilities as well. Laura, from the set, you can tell I get the opportunity to read a lot of books, right? Probably two to three to four a week. I have three boys under eight, and they could tell you what most of these books are about because they see them on my bed and my dresser and my dining room table. And I've said on this program many times, most business books are about 100 pages too long, right? Because authors have, you know, <laughs> sold their word count to a publisher, and they're done by usually 150 pages. Unlike most business books where the last half isn't as good as the first half. Yours is the opposite. You actually supercharge your book on the last couple of um, chapters. The last 10 or so pages, you offer 50 spontaneous business tips or productivity tips, time management tips. And I love number 14. I won't ask you, I won't quiz you on what number 14 was, no, but it's like, my favorite. And you say, match your most important tasks with your most productive time. And it really made me uh, revisit one of my favorite interviews here with Dan Pink, who talked about when, in his book, When, knowing your peaks, knowing your troughs, and knowing your recoveries. Expand on that, on that really valuable practical advice around knowing kind of your own cycle during the day. When is your trough, when is your peak? You can supercharge your productivity if you align your tasks with when you're naturally most focused and productive. Yeah, this is this is honestly one of the lowest hanging fruits yeah. in terms of productivity. Yeah. You know, people are always looking for some life changing hack. Well, here it is right now, um, which is that your energy levels change during the day. Uh, for most people, it tends to be highest in the morning, maybe 8 a.m. or so uh, after that first yeah. cup of coffee when you decide that you can yeah. take on the world. Um, it goes through dips as you're kind of getting toward lunch, um, yep. you know, maybe a little bit high after that. Goes through a big dip, 2.30, 3 o'clock yep. in the afternoon. That 2 p.m. slump is real. Uh, so if you know this about yourself, then you can plan your day, ideally, to take this into account. And so, I mean, this... This is one of these things I, I really try to put into place in my own life, not always successfully. Um, but let's say somebody says, I'd like to do a phone call with you. When am I going to schedule that for? Well, you know, we're going back and forth. I, I can offer different times. I have to tell myself, don't offer 9 a.m. Like, that's not a good time. That's a time I could be writing a book chapter, right? Whereas I'm not going to be writing a book chapter at 2 p.m. 
but I will definitely get on the phone if I've got it on my calendar to do at 2 p.m. Like I will definitely do that phone call, right? So that's the kind of work that can be done um, when you are maybe not as your, your highest energy level per se. Uh, so it's always frustrating when I look at offices and look at schedules and people are like, well, we have a 10 a.m. status meeting on this project. It's like, well, what gets decided in a 10 a.m. status meeting? I was like, oh, we just go around and everyone says what they're doing. All right, like you can say what you're doing at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. when nobody has any energy. Now, That's if you need sad. to make a really important, right. difficult decision that people right. are gonna come at from different angles and they've got real big challenges with it, a lot of disagreement, that meeting you have at 10 a.m., all right? Because that's when you need to have your, your best self there, when you need to be most patient with people, when you need to be most tolerant, when you need to understand where they're coming from, when you need to have everything on top of your game. Status meeting, not so much, right? So think about putting the work that needs your biggest you know, focus and attention at the time when you can best do that. Save the stuff that does not require that for the time when you don't have it. And last thing, build in breaks. Um, you know, I see all the time people are like, oh, I'm gonna work through lunch. I'm gonna get out of here on time today. Look at me, I'm all productive. 2.30 in the afternoon, they're reading the same email six times in a row. They all of a sudden look at a photo on Facebook and then they're on Facebook for 45 straight minutes. And what happened is, you know, the brain needed a break. And if you don't give your brain a real break, it's going to take a fake one. So put in a real break instead and you'll have more time to do your real work and you'll feel better as well. Laura, it is such valuable leadership advice around being more thoughtful about planning the meetings with others around what are most people's cycles, right? I, had, I was the guest on a podcast uh, two weeks ago, and the podcast interviewer opened it and said that they specifically picked the time for the interview because they'd read one of my blogs where I had written about my peaks, my valleys, my recoveries. They wanted to make sure that I was in the right time. And I think it's <laughs> such a great piece of advice for every leader. You know, don't have your status checks in your most valuable time. Have your big decision, your brainstormings, whenever is the right the right. The right time. I do my best work between 5 a.m. and probably 9, 10 o'clock. And then around 10, I start focusing on lunch. It's a matter of fact. And then I like to work through lunch, believe it or not, but I am in a trough physically, emotionally, intellectually between like 1 and 3. I'm still working, but it's not my best time. And then I kind of get a little bit of a rise at the end of the day. But if people around here, Franklin Covey know, if they want my best creativity, get Scott early in the morning, get him for breakfast, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and you'll get 110% of me. And I think you've given us a great and valuable scheduling technique. Schedule your topics at the right times of the day, not just when you are available. Yeah, yeah. Now, thinking about this means you can get so much more done because, you know, if you have a certain amount of things you have to get done on a given day, if you leave leave it till you know 2 p.m. when you have no energy, something that might have taken you an hour at 8 a.m. is now taking you three hours. That is not a, a ridiculous thing there. It, it really is that kind of difference that people will spend three hours on something when they have no energy that they could have done in, in one hour. And that's what, you know, you then have long hours, not because you inherently needed to work long hours, but because you didn't match your most important work to the time you were best able to do it. Laura, you have a lot going on, right? You're doing interviews, you host two podcasts, you're writing books and articles and you're keynote speaking. What's next for you for all of your followers? Yeah, so I just launched this podcast called Before Breakfast, um, and, and it's been great to see it take off. It's just short daily 
meaning Monday through Friday, by the way, not seven days a week, five days a week, uh, productivity advice. So five to 10 minutes each episode, I, I give one sort of shot in the arm kind of thing that will hopefully help you take your day from great to awesome. So I'm focusing on growing that and, and giving a lot of speeches on, on productivity. And, you know, I, I just had a new book come out that's a time management fable mm-hmm. um, called Juliet's School of Possibilities, mm-hmm. a little story about the power of priorities. So, you know, I've been talking about that and hopefully getting people to check it out. So that's what I'm going to be spending my next few months doing. Laura, when you go out and keynote speak and organizations are hiring you, what usually is their pain point or their sweet spot that they try to match you with? Yeah, well, it turns out that everyone struggles with time management. It's kind of the universal problem. We all feel like we have too much to do and not enough hours in the day. And I agree, there aren't enough hours in the day. Um, The way I help people think about it, though, we need to look at time holistically, often by looking at the whole of the week, uh, the whole 168 hours in a week. We can get a very different impression of our lives, of what we have to do, of what we have time to do. Um, So I'm often brought into places um, where some, you know, often a visionary leader has said, yeah, you know, my people work really hard, but I am concerned. I am concerned they are burning out. I am concerned that they are doing things that are maybe not as important for them to be doing, but we've just been doing because that's what we do. Um, I would like people to feel like they can stay here uh, for the long haul. So I know I need to think about helping people, you know, do their work well, but also have a good life outside of work. And I want a new framework for thinking about that. And so that's where I come in to talk with people. Laura, thanks for your time today. You have sort of re-inspired me to be more deliberate with the time I'm up in the morning think more about my weekends, intentionally checking in, intentionally checking out. I'm going to start following your podcast before breakfast. We appreciate your time today. Great discussion. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary for Franklin Covey's On Leadership series, an exciting guest for our 50-plus episode. We hope you join us for that. If you're not subscribing to On Leadership, do so by visiting franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership button. You can subscribe your family, your friends, have everybody in your team listen to it. comes out weekly on Tuesdays via email. It's complimentary, and every week it features an interview just like the one today with Laura that you also can access on any of the uh, most popular podcast platforms on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Franklin Covey. Look forward to come out every Tuesday morning, and we'll see you next week here with a new exciting guest on Leadership.